friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. From Matthew 10. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household." And then Ephesians 2. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision, by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy scripture. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our peace. Thank you for giving us the gift of yourself. And as we look at these, these verses and, and try to understand them, especially when they seem to say different things, help us harmonize them in such a way that honors you. And Lord, as you give us your peace, give us courage to give that peace to others. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, when I graduated from seminary, I had a great privilege. I was able to speak at the trustees' dinner. It's kind of like the valedictorian speech. And um, I went to these things before, and uh, they're, they're pretty boring. Usually the guys get up there and they, they say very Presbyterian things. They talk about glory and providence and dominion and... Uh, majesty and effulgence and uh, yeah, seriously. And they're like, oh, very interesting. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually, um, I took my, my best buddy, Paul Schuler, who's a great musician, and said, I want you to play the um, piano and then give me a beat and I want to rap a song. <laughs> he said, are you going to ask the student, are you going to tell that to the president? I said, no, but it's just going to be an homage to, to my professors because I love our professors. So this is a gift to the students and our professors, especially Professor Frame. I went to seminary because of John Frame. Every, he loves Jesus. He was a great theologian of being able to explain Jesus to others. And he'd say that God is transcendent and God is eminent. And everything begins with God up here and then the world and then you. So I, we just called this frame aerobics. So whenever John in class would begin doing this, we would all start doing this. So during the song, I was doing the frame aerobics and my classmates were loving it. 
and John was laughing, and then I looked over at President Bob, and Bob was like, no. <laughs> oh, no. He had the same look like my high school coach gave me in basketball when I took a three-pointer, like, no, no, oh. But the more Bob went, no, the more I, oh, yeah, you can't stop me now. Okay, now why did I bring this out? Because I'm going to be talking about knowledge. And this is where John Frame really affected me. Knowledge is not just understanding. Knowledge is participating with God and the world and yourself. So I'm going to introduce you to the frame triangle. So can I have my first slide up there? Okay, Ooh, okay. this is what John Frame taught us. So in the middle of the triangle is knowledge. And if you want to know anything, you've got to look at three different perspectives. The big picture, the situation, and yourself. Or else you don't really know it. Let me give you an example. Okay, next slide there. Let's say you have a bike and you want to fix a flat tire. How do you do it? Well, this is what we do. Google it. YouTube. Interesting. Okay. I got it. No, you have the information about it, but do you really know how to fix a flat tire? Hmm. There are three things that need to happen. One, in reality, you know how to fix a flat tire is to enter into the triangle of knowledge and participate. You don't know it until you participate. What does that mean? The big picture. What's a tire? The situation, what kind of tire you got? And thirdly, can you do it? Do you have the right repair kit? Can your fingers do it or your toes do it? Can you actually do it? You don't know how to fix a tire till, till you take all those three things into account and participate. Doesn't that make sense? You may understand about fixing a tire, but you don't know how to fix a tire until you actually participate. So real knowledge is not just here. Real knowledge is entering into the triangle of God. God, what do you want me to do? Here's the situation in the world, and then there's me. And for me to know you, you have to participate. Real knowledge is always participation. Thank you, Professor Frame. So you guys like the Frame Aerobics scene? There's God, the world, and yourself. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. Ooh, now we're getting triangles everywhere. You'll start seeing them everywhere. You'll see the frame triangles. All right, next slide. All reality, okay, this is a no solutionary. All reality is tri-relational. God, the world, and you. Why? Because God is Trinitarian. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, God the Father is the source of all things. Before there was anything made, God the Father is the source of everything. God the Father made everything through the eternal word, Jesus. Jesus is the eternal word of God. And what activates that eternal word and actually gives it materiality and substance? It's the Holy Spirit who gives life. This is Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. That's Jesus saying, let there be light. God's the source of it. It's through Jesus. And what makes it actual light? The activating power of the Holy Spirit. What? That's the world we live in. God the Father is the source, made everything through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit activates it. We live, and that's just reality. That's the world that God has given us. Okay, next slide. Okay, take a stretch break. Okay, everyone take a stretch break right now. I know it's a little bit nerdy. Like, ooh, Mark, that's a little bit weird.
weird, a little strange. I did that on purpose because I just saved you guys like the first year from getting a master's in philosophy and, and getting an MDiv. I saved like $35,000 just now. That like, took two and a half years for me to figure out. So that's, you're welcome. But this is all a little bit nerdy. Okay, but why did I go through all that? Because we're going to enter into the peace triangle. Uh, we're going to talk about peace not just as a feeling, but as a participative activity. And we're going to use those verses that we just read that seem to be all in Scripture, but they seem to say different things. And are they in conflict? They're not in conflict. We just need to understand how they go together. So, in the next slide, in the big picture, this is the text. Who read Ephesians 2? Is that you? Um, That was Carter read that. Thank you. Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says that Christ is our peace. That's the big picture, that God is our peace. That's the, that's the situation, that's the, just the big picture. God's our peace. The text from the Gospel of John that I believe um, Will read said that Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. And Jesus says, I'll give you that peace when I send the Holy Spirit. So God is the source of all peace. He is peace. Jesus gives us his peace which is the Holy Spirit. So that's God and that's us, but what's the situation? Ah, that's the text that Lizzie read. And that's the one that is troublesome to many of us. That's the one where Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a what? A sword. What is he talking about? And that I'll send a mother against a daughter and a father against a son. Okay, hold, hold, let's, let's back up a little bit. Is Jesus actually saying that he wants families to fight? No, 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 no. What is he saying there? He's saying he gives us peace, but the peace he gives us might result in a crisis, and not just a crisis between you and a neighbor. It might result in a crisis between you and your own family member. So it's not that, that Jesus desires to, to create a crisis. But the peace that he brings might result in a crisis if people don't like his peace. Does that make sense? He's not saying, so if you ever hear a minister say, well, if you love Jesus, you're going to have conflict. So, no, that, no Jesus, that's not, a, that's not a, a green light to be a jerk. But what he's saying is that the peace of Christ is both a gift and it might create a crisis. Now, let me show you how this might work out. Um, In John 14, 25 to 27, Jesus said, I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important. Sometimes the Bible translates this as paraclete, but the word paraclete means advocate. And you know what the word advocate means? The one who comes alongside the one who's excluded. That's what that means. The Holy Spirit comes alongside those who are excluded. That's what that, so that's the Holy Spirit, and the word Satan means to what? Accuse or exclude. So Jesus says, when I come bring you peace, I'm going to send you my spirit that will come along those who are excluded. Think about the life of Jesus. Who did he spend time with? Who did he invite in? Everybody who was excluded, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So when my peace comes to you, he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you everything, and you're going to participate in this. 
you will come alongside those who are excluded. My peace I give to you, I do not give to you the, the peace that the world gives. And Jesus is saying, now the world also gives a kind of peace. Now, that peace actually does create cohesion and teamwork and being in a group, but it does it in a way very different than Jesus says. So the peace is a gift that reconciles different others, but the peace of Christ can result in a crisis. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. How does that work out? Some, let's say um, a father is filled with the Holy Spirit and he sees a neighbor who is excluded and he comes alongside that neighbor and says, I want you to come to our house for dinner. But the son says, Dad, we can't have that guy over. He's one of those people. He says, oh no, Jesus loves that guy. Don't, Dad, don't bring him over. Oh, I'm bringing him over. Why? Because I came alongside him. The son's form of peace is the peace that the world gives. It's a peace that makes community not by going out and bringing in the excluded one, it creates community by excluding people from their group. And the father and son are in conflict of pursuing peace, a peace of the world and a peace of Christ. Do you all see the difference? And Jesus says, oh, that, that, that might create conflict. But he's not telling us to be jerks. He's saying, this peace is so profound that I bring and the addiction to the peace of the world is so strong that there could be a rub in your own family. What do we do with that? Next slide, please. Okay, here's the problem. So, so the peace of the world has two parts. There's the community peace of the world, and there's the religious peace of the world. And they go together like a hamburger and french fries. I love me a good hamburger and french fries, don't you guys? And that's a good-looking burger right there. Even for you vegetarians, you got to admit that's a good-looking burger. <laughs> and French fries. And we're addicted to it. We love how it tastes. It's so delicious. What is so delicious about the peace of the world? Okay, the peace of the world, we do this to our neighbor, and churches and synagogues also do the same kind of peace that creates pain. Jesus' peace reduces pain. The peace of the world and the religious peace of the world, it creates pain. What is this addictive? What makes this so addictive? Do they put monosodium glutamate in it? Is, it? is it the cane sauce that we all love? Why? Because it's cane sauce. You have to love it. What is it? Well, this is what it is. I love this picture. What is this peace? This delicious demonic exclusion. Do you, do you see it in that picture there? I don't know what kind of penguins those are. They love their coat, but what makes those other penguins so happy? The fact that that one penguin in the foreground is not included. Do you all see it? Yeah. De delicious demonic. He's even got like, his head's buried within his, you know, with his scarf right there, like, I wish I could be in the group. Oh, no, no. You're out, dude. Delicious demonic exclusion. Now, where do we learn this? Is this only in the community, or do, do churches do this too? Oh, this happens in grade school. Next slide. This is, a, this is, a, this is Griner Middle School right here. Okay, let's give uh, uh, the, the one with the purple top and the yellow hair, let's call, um, uh, that's Lisa, and then the guy in the red shirt, that's Chad, okay? And the, the gal in the, the pink top right there, um, in the, 
said, we'll call her Elena. And the guy sitting on, um, on the bench there, that's Todd. And Chad and Todd were best friends in third grade. Third grade through seventh grade. They got to eighth grade. And all of a sudden, they're at Griner Middle School. And then, and then Chad, Chad, these two girls that are super cool and everyone loves them, said, if you want to be in our group, you can, but you can't bring Todd. Oh, okay. Uh, bye, Todd. I'll see you at home, maybe. Bye, Chad. I know, but what makes that group so cool? The fact that Chad's in and Todd's out. Now, that can be Griner Middle School. That can be Trinity Christian Academy. That can be St. Cecilia's. That can be Hockaday. That can be Adamson High School. That can be your neighborhood bowling team. Pickleball team. Delicious, demonic exclusion. We feel so good in our group when we keep someone out. What is it about us? That's the original sin, original to each one of us. No Holy Spirit in that. Next slide. Churches don't do it. Oh, yeah, we do. This is a tree of how churches have divided from the very beginning. Jesus came from the tribe of Israel. We had one holy Catholic, that means universal, an apostolic church. And then in 1054, there was the great schism, the split between the church east and west. Why did the church split? For peace and purity. The Orthodox split from the Roman Catholic. Why? For the peace of the church. And then the Orthodox there to the left has the Eastern Orthodox and the Greek and the Russian and the Coptic. And then the Roman Catholic and everything else split from that, beginning with Martin Luther. We protested against one another, split, 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 split. And what, what was the cause of the split? In order to maintain, in fact, that's the language. And I'm both Catholic and Presbyterian in my bones. The language of the Presbyterian church is that we do these things to maintain, we even use the word peace, the peace and purity of the church. We maintain the peace and purity by doing what? Excluding other Christians. If you don't believe our view of baptism, our view of the five points of Calvin, our view of this or that. You might be a Christian, but you're not. Maybe you're a Christian, but to maintain the peace and purity of our church, we exclude. I went to a meeting um, one time in Albuquerque with Father Richard Rohr, who's um, a, very, a very godly and a very strange and beautiful human being. And he was giving a lecture one day and saying, you Protestants sure split, split up a lot. And about 80% of the people in this group are Protestant. We all laughed. He goes, but I don't blame you. We started it. You just learned well from your Catholic forebear. We started it, and we passed on the autoimmune deficiency onto you guys, and you guys just perfected it. But it's not your fault. It's ours. And I thought, good for you, Richard, because he's a Catholic priest. But he says, this is what we do. In the name of purity, we kick people out that were once part of our community and say we're doing it for peace. That's what Nike and I refer to as predatory peace, but we don't think it's predatory peace. We think it's just peacekeeping. But we've got to pick on someone. We've got to find that, that one penguin to kick out that doesn't believe our view of baptism, and we feel so much better by doing it. That delicious demonic exclusion. Why am I putting it that way? You think, well, that's, that's what Jesus came to break down. It's, it's just what we do.
Next slide, please, Ben. I love this photo. I found this. This is a street artist who, taught, who, who, had, who was hurt um, somehow by the church. He said, this is what churches do. They're like a big, mean dog, and they hold that cross near, and they say, in the name of Jesus, scram. And I thought, oh, that's such a good picture, that we, we pursue peace by clinging to the cross we call it the cross. We call it God. We call it truth. You know, you know what it really is? I just like the fact that I'm in and you're out. And that makes me feel so, so good. And Jesus exposes this in every human being. It's in churches. It's in neighborhoods. It's, it's, it's addictive, isn't it? It's absolutely addictive. We do it all the time. This is what it looks like. The peace of the world is a mythical peace. It's a lie. So the top guy, those are the good folks that they're inside. And that guy on the bottom there, those are the bad folks. They're on the outside. And that big hand in the middle, we call that the hand of God. God's keeping the good guys from the bad guys. Or we call it justice. Or we call it truth. Or we call it being um, being politically current or not current. We call it all kinds of things. And the good folks on the inside are saying, well, did you invite Jesus on your heart? And the bad folks say, no. He goes, well, good. Well, you're going to hell. Well, good. I don't want to go to your heaven. Well, good. You're a horrible neighbor. Well, you're a horrible neighbor. Well, I don't want to go to heaven if people are you like in it. All my friends are going to hell too. Good, good. And both sides feel so good like, I don't want to go to that guy's heaven because he's a jerk. I want to go to hell with my friends because these will have fun. And that guy's a jerk. So the guy on the outside is excluding the guy on the inside, and the guy on the inside is excluding the guy on the outside, and there's this big wall, and we feel so justified. We feel so good kicking that person out. You see what I'm getting at? I'm making you very uncomfortable on purpose. I want you to hear what, what Paul says as he reflects upon the cross of Jesus and all of humanity. This is the Ephesian text I believe, Carter, you read this one, right? This is the result of the cross. I want to read it to you. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me go back for a second. Paul says there are two kinds of people in the world, Jews, and those are not Jewish. That's pretty good, right? Jews and Gentiles. Who are nearby? Who, where did Jesus come from? He came from the Jews. So who's near? The Jews are near. And who's far away? The Gentiles. So he's saying, I'm going to talk to you what Jesus did for the world. For Jesus died for the sins of the world. But now you in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Ah, it doesn't just bring peace. He's the very source of peace. He's our peace. And in his flesh, he has made both groups into one. What two groups has he made into one? The whole world have been recapitulated, brought together in the body of Christ. The whole world is in him. Every human being is in him. Both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Now, what is the hostility? Is it between God and humanity? Oh, no. What's the hostility? Jew and Gentile. 
We don't like each other, and we just say, God's on our side and hates you. That's what we do. Jesus has broken this down. This is actually accomplished. This is not a theory. This is an accomplishment. This is a mighty fact of God in human history, that he's taken the hostility between us, and he's broken it down, that he might create one new humanity. Do we believe the apostle here? Oh my gosh, this is so striking. One new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. The cross puts to death the hostility between humanity. The cross destroys the wall. Wow. Wow. So he came and he proclaimed peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, for through him, that's Jesus, both of us, those far and near, have access and one spirit to the Father. So who has access to God? Jews and Gentiles, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He's broken down the wall. But we like the wall. But he's broken it down. But we like the wall. Hence, the fighting between a mother and a daughter and a son and a father. You all hear Jesus now? Hear what he's getting at? What do we do about that? I love this photo. This is, this is etch. That this, is a, this is a piece of artwork done by an individual that shows how Christ has united all humanity in himself. So Christ is depicted on the left. He's glorified there with the, with the transfigured crown, and he's embracing someone that we can't see. This is every Jew and every Gentile that Jesus is saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And he's embraced them. And now he says, you guys forgive each other. That's all of us wrapped up in Jesus. He's brought us close. You know what this picture reminds me of? I, I, if you have pet owners, if you're pet owners, you understand this. We have a dog, and I love going nose to nose with my dog. I mean, I, I come here, Mabel, and she goes, <laughs> you know, like, what? Come here, honey, come right here, baby, right here. We just bump noses, wet nose to wet nose. Like, you're a dog, and I'm a human, and we're both good. We're good this close up. We're reconciled. No hatred. You love being a dog. I love being the guy that picks up all your poop in the walk, and I love being with you, and you love going for walks, and we're good, good. No, no strife. Mutual self-donation. Good, good, like this. That's peace. No fear. Mutual love going back and forth. And, and Paul says that's, that's what Jesus accomplished. Peace of Christ exposes the lie. What's the lie? Good folks on the inside, bad folks on the outside, and the hand dividing us is the hand of God or the hand of justice. That hand is not the hand of God and is not the hand of justice. That hand is the hand of human hostility. And Jesus exposes it so we can't rely on the lie anymore. So what do we do? Well, the guy on the inside goes, sorry, I'm an idiot. And the guy on the outside goes, sorry, I'm an idiot. And then they reconcile. So, before we go to the next slide, I think some of you may have been, I've said some phrases before that you think, I've never heard that before, Mark. Please explain. I've talked about 
theologically conservative fundamentalists and theologically liberal fundamentalists. And you think, what? What's a theologically conservative fundamentalist and a theologically liberal fundamentalist? This is what a religious fundamentalist is. Either liberal or conservative. They make peace by expelling someone from their group. They fundamentally make peace by expelling. Conservative churches do it. You've got to vote our way. You've got to believe our view of baptism. Liberal churches do it. You've got to vote our way. And you can't be friends with those people that vote the other way. We're a donkey church. We're an elephant church. They're both fundamentalists. They both love their wall. Well, I love Jesus. He's broken it down. Does that make sense? We just can't do this anymore. We're so comfortable in it. So I love this next picture. The world says, and religious and religious conservative fundamentalists say, peace be with you across the wall. We're on the inside, you're on the outside. Jesus does this on the right. I'm with you. I'm not letting you go. I'm hanging on to all of humanity. I'm hanging on to you. I'm hanging on to all of them. Well, then how do we participate in this? How do we do it? This is how. Isn't that a great picture? I love this picture because when we see walls that divide insiders from outsiders, what does Jesus say? My cross has abolished the wall, and now it's a window. You know what we're supposed to do whenever there's walls like this between people? We look inside that cross, that beautiful blue and green. Because on the other side of that wall is a human being made in the image of God, made for Jesus and by Jesus. And we love that person more than we love the delicious demonic exclusion of somebody within our group. I am tired of this dualism, either this or that. That is so immature. We need to grow up. You know, discipleship is not about reading the Bible a whole lot or praying a lot. It's about being mature. And being mature says life is not that simple. We have to love difficult people, even people that disagree with us. It's so easy to separate all the time. We're tired of it. This is what Jesus does. And what do we see? What's the vision? This is what I love right here. This is go, dog, go. What did Jesus do? What's the eschaton? What's the new heavens and new earth? Red dog, a big dog party, a big dog party, big dogs, little dogs, red dogs, blue dogs, yellow dogs, green dogs, black dogs, white dogs, all are at a dog party. What a dog party. What is that? That's the new heavens and new earth right there. That's what Jesus did. No more walls. Everyone's different. Everyone's brought together. Everyone's fully formed and doing their thing. Isn't that awesome? This is what the peace of Christ brings. But it takes courage to do it. Because where people see a wall, we see a window of a cross. So what does that mean for us? That means we hang on to people on both sides of the wall because the wall is not there. What does that mean? I love my Christian friend and I love my non-Christian friend and I'm not letting go of either one of them. I love my Christian fundamentalist friend who's a 
as a conservative. I love my Christian fundamentalist friend who's a liberal, and I'm not letting go of each one of them. They want me to let go and choose a side. That's not peace. That's violence. This is peace. So those who are far off and those who are near, and you and me and the peace and the cross of Christ is right in the middle. And we're just hanging on to people on both sides. Well, is that a Democrat church or a Republican church? It's a Christian church. We're hanging on to both. Is that a church that's for this or for that? It's a Christian church. We're hanging on to both. And I am so tired of people saying, Marta, are you a liberal or a conservative? I'm a Christian. I'm not a fundamentalist. I don't like... What's a fundamentalist? You fundamentally enjoy your violence. I don't. You call it faithfulness. We both know it's delicious demonic exclusion. And Jesus says, I do not put up with it. Now, why am I a pastor? Because I love the church. Do you guys know that I look at the one ads like, I don't know, six times a week? I have for 40 years. I've worked in business before I was a pastor. I look at this as, would I enjoy that? No. Would I enjoy it? No. No. Why do I look at it? I'm reminded of my calling. God woke me up to something about 25 years ago. Christians are so good at, at just expelling people, and I don't want to expel them anymore. I feel called. I feel called of God to be one of those paper guys in the middle just hanging on to this person and that person, and I'm used to being name-called. I don't care anymore. I'm too old to care. Look at my hair. I'm too old. Oh, what's left of it? See, it's kind of going right there. Okay. I don't care. I just want to hang on to people because Jesus has died for them. And I want us to be mature. Well, what about doctrine? Oh, I believe in doctrine. But there's very few fundamentals of the faith. And those few fundamentals, of course, I would, I would die for them. The resurrection, he died for sins, he's coming back to judge, all those things, yes. But beyond the, fundam- the, 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 the essential of the faith, come on. Hang on to people. Hang on. It's so easy to let go. Then we go back to Griner Middle School and, and Trinity Christian Academy and St. Cecilia's and Hockaday and then all the cool table and just, oh, it's so demonic. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Don't you all? So what's our hope this Christmas? Jesus has done this for us. All we got to do is hang on. That's it. Just hang on to the person. Hang on to them. When people say, let go, you just say, I cannot. You know my favorite part of, of the Lord of the Rings? Did you guys ever see the Lord of the Rings? I, I cried at the first one. I have to admit, I cried. When, when Frodo took the ring and was going to go to Mordor, remember that? And he, I was going to go. And Samwise, and I'm like Samwise, our grandson's named after that Samwise. Samwise went after Frodo. And Samwise isn't the brightest bulb. You know, he's really not. But he went after him, and he grabbed him and says, I will not let you go, Frodo. I will not let you go. I don't understand what you're doing, but you're my friend. I will not let you go. Oh, that was the peace of Christ. He hung on to his friend. Like, you're probably going to die. That's really stupid. I could be safe and with these other people that think that excluded you, but I'm not going to let you go. So you don't have to be really smart to be mature. You just have to be Samwise. You just have to hang on to people. 
Because Christ has definitively done something to the hostility. And we refuse to participate in him. If we refuse to participate, then how do we know if we, if we know him? Because you know what? Knowledge is participation. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Hang on to him. Hang on to each other. You can do it. We all can do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the peace that destroys the hostility. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us, Lord, whether we're liberal Christians or conservative Christians or Christians that can't make up their mind. They help us not become fundamentally addicted to expelling others. Help us hang on to them as you always have and as you always do. We pray in your name.